You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sexy Irish Sean and Rick. How are you guys doing? Hey, it's really warm. It's you warm everywhere. Not in the south, southern hemisphere. So, I've been mining crypto, so this, and I'm in a small room, so these computers have been on for hours, days. So it's is it, uh, is it even more. worth it? I've I've seen cases now where like you're you're drawing more the power to, to draw like that that processing power costs more than the actual mining itself. Yeah, it depends on the coin and not um, if it turns to Bitcoin. You're trying to uh, also support the decentralization of the currency, so there's that element to it as well. Is the c- cryptocurrency exchanging available to exchange freely on a monetary market? The thing is, you want to avoid exchanges. For instance, Bitcoin, you're at the complete mercy of the exchanges. There's no way to get Bitcoin apart from an exchange because you can't mine for it. It's impossible to mine for it because there's huge mining farms and people have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into mining it. So the only way you get it is through an exchange. There's other currencies which you can get through mining or through just peer-to-peer, and that would be a a better route. So I, I try to avoid the exchanges as much as possible. But how do I turn Bitcoin into a Tesla? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Like, like Sean was saying, it's a little too late. There's, um, I've seen these videos. You can go on YouTube, and there's these videos of these companies that are like have these humongous buildings, and all it is is it's like going to an Amazon data warehouse. It's all these computers, and all they're doing is processing, um, using GPUs to process, uh, uh, try to mine Bitcoin. And it's just ridiculous. Um, and the I thing about Bitcoin as well, there's only a finite number of them in the market. So Correct. Yeah, the blocks get released and they actually get worth, I mean, the, the new blocks are, I believe, are worth less and less as it as it goes too. Unless you stole malware and someone's computer without them knowing and you, you mine in the back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that <laughs> way too. You could, you could uh, secretly mine on other people's computers. But however, the good news for us, I'm hoping, is this when these, these types of companies finally close down, they'll put their GPUs for sale and we can get you know some good prices on some graphic cards so we play those video games again because you know I'm getting tired of just looking at those empty shelves you know all throughout these stores you know now I got to play my games I I need to play my games and I don't want to spend five thousand dollars for for uh, for a graphics card either so. I think you know unfortunately you know miners use ASIC or ASIC which are basically computers specifically designed to mine so they have huge you know processing powers and that's what they use they probably would use commercial gpus so it's even worse they're, they're even more powerful than your you know top-end commercial gpu every time that i hear somebody say oh yeah mine i always think of the seagulls from finding nemo mine, i can't help mine, myself mine, 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 mine. every time it's i like see a bunch of little nemo. lemmings saying mine 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 <laughs> yeah every time i see finding nemo I'm, I'm i'm thinking about sushi i mean but if you guys yeah. are interested in crypto i i encourage you to look into monero XMR is the abbreviation. You know, you're, if you're not careful, Sean, your your nickname is going to change from Sexy Irish Sean to Seedy Irish Sean. <laughs> you know, to wear a cloak and open up and be like, want some Bitcoin? <laughs> Invest in Monero and turn it into dinero. So let's, uh, let's jump into our topic at hand. Oh, part two of part two. Yes. So in our last podcast, we discussed an article that I wrote for Stonemaier Games blog, um, specifically about actionable ideas to boost your Kickstarter funding mid-campaign. And we discussed a, a quick summary was that, you know, when 
you launch your Kickstarter, there's this burst of funding and activity at the beginning and a burst of funding and activity at the end, right? In a, in the ideal situation, you're going to, that's what's going to happen. But during the middle, you kind of cease to be as relevant as the new hotness, whatever's coming out. And so you have to do what you can in order to drum up more interest and keep a positive growth to your campaign. And it can be a real challenge, not only in the activity, but in the trying to find something to do, you know, for that matter. And so what we dis, uh, have been discussing is, are these these actionable ideas that I have leveraged during the deliverance campaign in order to drum up more pledges and, you know, get more activity going on and build more interest in the campaign. And so we went through the first five. And on this podcast, we're going to go through the the next five and then give you guys another bonus that I have been doing that I did not write down on that that list. And here we go. Crowdfunding nerds only. Not good enough for Jamie Stegmaier. And you must yeah. listen to the end of this podcast to get that special exclusive bonus. But if you subscribe now for only ten ninety nine fact, a month. To get, get all the secret secrets. bonus. Five easy payments of fifty five fifty five. Of crypto. The- <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get it, huh? Right. Man. Keep your review prototypes in constant motion. So is that like putting them on a truck and just have it drive around? Yes. It's like <laughs> it's more more useful than a lot what a lot of people do, which is just let them sit. So actually somebody even asked on the Stonemeyer blog, um, they asked this question almost as a follow-up on this. Um Jasper asked, for your review campaign, how long did you give each reviewer with your prototype and what kind of cushion between reviewers? So the first thing is before your campaign launches, you need to have reviewers that you target. And you need to have sent out prototype copies to them so that they can have their reviews ready for the launch of your campaign. I usually give people three months for this. I recommend three months. However, I was able to do everything, get all the reviewers I needed within two months and because that's the time that I had. I decided, all right, I'm going to Kickstarter. The review copies weren't ready until just above two months to go. And so I got them the mail and two months was totally fine for everybody. The, the idea is that you give all that time and some of my reviewers have, you know, reviewed it within like two weeks and then others actually waited until like the day before the Kickstarter launch to post their review. That was my choice to get those reviewers and they needed the time. And we, that's what we talked about. Typically bigger reviewers, um, you know, that are in higher demand are going to keep your prototype for longer, not because it takes them longer to review, but because they have a line that's in front of you. So in order to not you know, upset the boat, you would uh, just have to wait in line. The nice thing about those big names, though, is that after you send them the review copy and they finish, they would be happy to send your review copy wherever you wanted. So you know, for the most part, my recommendation is during the pre-marketing of your, you know, the before your campaign launches, you should build a list of reviewers so that, and this is what I did. I built a list of reviewers in an Excel spreadsheet that I thought would be a good fit for my game. And there were more reviewers than I actually had review copies. And I kind of took that for granted at first, but after we launched, it was like, you know, people started asking me, where would you like to send this? And it was like, oh my goodness, I have these other 10 reviewers that I said, I can't send a copy to them because I have to prioritize the bigger guys or the, for whatever reason, you know, the guys in the niche audience or with the niche audiences that I thought would most benefit me. And so I started 
forwarding them on from one to another to another. And in some cases, you know, for example, one reviewer that I had was a call-in of a one-stop co-op shop. I wanted somebody to play, you know, that had authority in kind of the co-op game space to speak on deliverance. And it turned out to be a really good fit for Colin. He was, he actually asked me, Hey, can I give this game to, or can I let a friend of mine who is also a reviewer who also has, let's say, uh, you know, whatever it was like 20,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. Can I have him review this game? And so not only did I get 6,500 playthroughs from Colin's video, but I got another, you know, 1500 playthroughs from the person that he, or, uh, you know, on, on that person's YouTube channel. And then they sent it on. So that was really cool. I would recommend sending it on and sending it on. Even if the channel only gets 30 views, that could be one or two more backers, which is more, you know, you're getting more out of that prototype copy than you would have otherwise. You should never let your prototype copies sit at your house. They should always be floating around. And oftentimes reviewers are willing to review the game just to have content for their channel, which is amazing. You know, people want to build their channel, give, you know, kind of build themselves into the position of a lot of other big name channels that charge for reviews and get the hottest games, you know? And so that's kind of what I have to say on that, just make it happen. Oh, and then to answer Jasper's question about, you know, how long did you give people to what kind of cushion did you give between reviewers? At first, you can say, oh, here's two months. But after that, it's it, like you have a four week campaign or however long your campaign, you really need to just to, to ask and say, hey, I need the review to go live. Can like how fast can you give me this review if I send you the review copy and they'll give you a commitment and then just hold them to that commitment. And if you trust the reviewer based on the other content and their professionalism and other things like that, you know, I would say go for it. I've had reviewers turn things around in a week to two weeks. People that are not, you know, the big guys like Dice Tower, Quackalope, uh, Rado, uh, Man vs. Meeple, those people, uh, you know, wouldn't um, rarely, unless you had like a close personal relationship with somebody, those people would rarely be able to turn around a video that fast. But the people that are smaller would be willing and maybe honestly have the time to do that. Or maybe they would interrupt their schedule to fit you in. So um, that's my thoughts on reviewers so far. It's um, very important to me that we have reviewers throughout the campaign. I was talking to, uh, this is a while ago, maybe a year and a half ago at the Gamma trade show, the Game Manufacturer Association trade show. I spoke to uh, Robert Geislinger, who is like the marketing master for Arcane Wonders. He uh, was hot off of a $1.2 million campaign um, called like something about Rome. And I know I'm just going to get roasted for, for forgetting the name all of a sudden. But he said that his one of his big secrets was making sure that he had lots of review content that popped up throughout his campaign. So you don't want just a big burst of activity at the beginning and then nothing, but your reviewers will serve as a progression of activity throughout your campaign. So when it comes to reviewers, does their following have any impact on you choosing them? So do you want to see like a, like a minimum amount of subscribers or in engagement? What sort of, does that come into play or is it just more so get the games out there? It doesn't matter how many, how many followers they have. Let's just do this. I did pay close attention to how many views each video received. That was pretty important to me. So one thing 
that you may notice with some reviewers is that they have a large subscriber base or, you know, let's say ratio wise, they have a large subscriber base to a very low number of views. And I actually, I credit that to, you know, if, if people have a low number of views, then they usually don't market their videos on social media. But if, you know, you have some people that have, uh, like, for example, we did Liege of Games. I think they have one and a half thousand subscribers, uh, maybe, maybe a little more than that. I don't know. I could be completely off, but I was pleasantly surprised at the number of views that their average videos receive. In fact, you know, that's why I chose them as one of my uh, reviewers, because it looked like I could reach an audience of people that that person had that might otherwise not see the game. So that that definitely factors in. I would say at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have a lot of people that ask you to, you know, for that review copy. And you really need to give yourself the, um, or place your review copies, limited review copies that you have in the place that would generate the greatest return on investment for you. You could have 200,000 subscribers, but if you've got, you know, 3000 views of video, you're no different to me than somebody who has 5,000 subscribers and, you know, 3000 views of video. So now when it comes to marketing these prototypes with these social media influencers and, and, and reviewers and whatnot, what percentage or, or how many um, of these did you pay for and how many were, were just done without, without monetary consideration. So I paid for roughly like $2,500 worth of reviews. This was for deliverance. Um, you know, all said and done at the end of the day, that's, I, it was about $2,100 actually. So we did choose certain reviewers and certain places that, you know, like for example, the board game spotlight, I had Jimmy Hudson play the game live. I had him uh, do a review of the game and I did a little banner with the board game spotlight and I just kind of wrapped that all together. I had uh, Game Boy Geek do a review and that was like $600 or so and a couple of others. In the end of the day, what I really felt the best reviews ended up being the ones that didn't cost me anything. The most influential reviews were from people that were like, I love this theme. I can't wait to get it to the table. I, this seems like it's going to be the perfect game for me. Can I review it? And so uh, I mentioned Colin from One Stop Co-op Shop ended up being a decent channel that where he was just extremely excited to play this game. And I think that that is very important. The excitement is really important. And so it wasn't just Colin's channel that was, you know, that where people would see the review, but I actually used that review because it was just he was so high energy, so excited. It was a really close game and um, he had a lot of fun and that really translated well on the camera. I marketed the snot out of that review. Whenever anyone asked me, what's the gameplay like? I would send them that review and it ended up being a really, really wonderful asset that I got to use. And it didn't cost me anything aside from the, you know, the, the review copy sent to him and honestly effort to dig that one up. I had to do research and figure out the various people and then say, oh, this person looks like a really good, like their play style, the things that they enjoy, they would really like my game. So let me reach out to them. And, you know, I, that one particular instance definitely was gold for us. So we have a, a podcast. We talk a little bit more about reviewers with Jeremy Howard of Mavis's Meeple. So we'll include that in the show notes if you want to check that out. Point number seven, ask friends and family for support broadly and individually. Now, this 
almost seems like a little bit of a contradiction because earlier we had a podcast on uh, self-promotion and what not to do. And one thing we said <laughs> you shouldn't ever do or you shouldn't do is, you know, spam people, privately message people and be like, hi, I've got this project, please support it. So what, <laughs> maybe explain the do's and don'ts of asking friends and family for support. I mentioned in the, the blog that this is more relevant to somebody that is a first-time creator or a newer creator. Maybe you have a couple of games under your belt, but you know everybody knows that you've been working on this one game, which is your baby. You've been working on it for years and whatever. You know that That type of situation will totally work for this. If you have 20 games under your belt, this really isn't going to make a massive difference because at this point, your family is not super enthusiastic about you making games or rather surprised that this nerd hobby that you've had for years is finally turning into money. But a first-time creator, first-time self-publisher, or somebody who is finally bringing their their big game, the baby that they've been working on for a long time that all the friends and family know about, that's the situation that I'm talking about right now. And Deliverance was that for me. It's not. It was my personally my first game that I have ever brought to Kickstarter. And also the that I've rather that I've designed that I've, you know, brought to Kickstarter. There are kind of two wavelengths that I speak on here and I labeled them broad and individual. Your friends and family know about the game that you've been working on. A lot of the time they are following you and they're hearing updates and they're excited for you because they care about you. They love you, you know, and um, they're just they're your they're your uh, cheer squad. You know, and so when it comes time to launch your game, a lot of the time they're more than willing to support. So, you know, and it it is smart of you to capitalize on that willingness to support, you know, in sales. I always told myself I never wanted to sell a product to somebody that didn't need it or more importantly, that didn't want it. They might have needed a, let's say, you know, we sell websites and digital marketing and stuff like that. So let's say somebody really, really needs a website. If they don't see the value in, in a website, I don't want to talk to them about buying a website. It's just, it makes me feel like a sleazy salesperson, you mm -hmm. know, when I try to convince somebody that they should buy something in the same way, I didn't, I do not want to convince my friends and family. And you should not try to convince your friends and family to support you when they're not interested in supporting you. I mean, I had a, a lot of friends and family jump on board right away that were simply looking for a way to support. And it's very smart to direct those people and direct their energy in, in a positive direction that can help you. There are a couple of different routes that you can use. I'm actually reaching out to a person and saying, hey, would you personally back this campaign? Or did you, you know, this is more realistic as like, hey, Brighton, you know, a buddy of mine, I just launched this. I just launched it you know, super excited. And then he might respond, oh, where is it? And I'll just send him the Kickstarter link. That conversation actually happened on uh, via text message and he went all in, you know, for, for the game. It was that simple. That's the type of thing that I want to have happen. Now, there's somebody that I'm thinking of um, that is a um, uh, one of our clients uh, for SEO marketing, owns a plumbing company. And really, really wants to see this game come to light. He's an extremely busy person. His name is James. And he is not going to know that the game launched. So I should actually reach out and I do plan on reaching out to him saying, Hey, James, I launched that game that we were talking about. 
And he's going to, he's probably, and by the way, I'm not going to include the whole sales pitch in a single text message or, or, you know, a Facebook messenger or whatever. I'm going to break it up. Like, Hey, I launched that game. And then he's going to be like, wow, that's amazing. And I'm going to say, yeah, it's, it's super cool. We raised this much money and so much time. He's going to be like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And I might then reach out and say, you know, are you still interested in uh, maybe supporting it? And he'll probably say, yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what I would expect to happen. And the reason I expect that to happen is because he, for a long time, has just talked about how excited he is that we're doing this project. So it would be foolish of me not to talk to him, not to let him know, hey, we launched. You know, he's a busy guy and he's not going to know it on his own. That I'm not reaching out to somebody that I knew in high school that I haven't talked to for 10 years saying, hey, (laughs) friends, hey, Kevin. I know we haven't talked in a while, but I have a game on Kickstarter that I think you might like, you know, that type of thing is just not what I'm talking it's not gonna about. going to fly. And yeah. So you you, you can't that. just be like, Hey, Hey Jim, uh, can you cash at me $200 please? I know we haven't talked in like five years, but you were great when I knew you. Yeah. <laughs> unless he really owes you something. Like if you buried a body for him and he just owes you feel free to do that. You know, <laughs> yeah, when I went to your, uh, your kid's soccer tournament. Yeah. You owe me. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Hey, it's my daughter's birthday in like two two weeks. Um she really wants deliverance. Yeah, she really wants deliverance. She really wants you to back deliverance. Yeah. And then there are those people. So okay, I have a wrestling coach or you know, that that coached uh, my wrestling team in high school. And we hadn't seen, you know, I haven't I actually I see him probably once every five years we bump into each other around town and it's really awesome it's a super positive experience whenever i bump into him but i don't have the right to try to call him and sell him something because we have not spent time you know he doesn't know about the project and that kind of thing but i re he actually uh ended up backing our project and how how did he end up doing that well i call it a, a broad outreach so I posted on my personal Facebook page. So I did a video asking for support. I let people know, hey, anyone who's watching this video, all my Facebook friends, I don't know if you know this or not, but I've been working on a game for the last five years called Deliverance. We just released it on Kickstarter and it would really help me. And this is the key, by the way, it would really help me. It's not, it's an amazing game. It's awesome. You would like it, whatever. A lot of these people may not even be board gamers, but you can, but they are, they know you and they love you and they're willing to potentially help you. So I said, you know, it would really help me if you would be willing to back it. And instead of talking about how much money it raised and that kind of thing, that's just like tooting your own horn. You know, we've raised like $215,000 or more at this point. And I didn't say that. I was like, hey, we really need your support because our goal is to generate as many backers as we can. Every single backer is another period on the end of the sentence of deliverance belongs on your retail store shelves. And we're trying to do this thing. And again, it would really help me if you would, if you would pitch in and there will be people that see that, that didn't feel solicited because you weren't talking directly to them and they're, and they won't feel like, you know, if they reject you, it's, you're never going to know it. So it's a great way to reach out to friends, family, and and acquaintances you haven't seen in a long time. You should tell people about it. You shouldn't keep your project hidden from your friends and family. This is something that, you know, is happening in your life that you that matters to you. And those are the types of things 
that honestly should be shared on social media. You know, what you ate that morning and the shower thought that you had are not as important as this big moment in your life, right? You know, you've got this Kickstarter. Number eight, post relevant things in social communities. Maybe the do's and don'ts of that as well, right? I think, you know, we're not talking about obviously link bombing. You know, mm -hmm. check out my Kickstarter. Here's the link. You know, that's, yeah. that's obviously never going to work. Maybe some tangible examples of what's worked really well for you and why do you think it worked well? Definitely. So we actually did a podcast on what to what not to do in a Facebook group. I believe it was with Thomas Covert, who has a pretty large Facebook group um, for Pick board game, notes. you know, in the board game niche. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes where we kind of went into detail on this. But the point that I want to get across with this post relevant things in social communities is you're going to have an idea of the things that people care about, but you're not going to know what is actually going to work well until you post certain things will resonate with communities, you know, that you might not have expected. And so one, uh, one thing somebody asked me to do because they, they do this thing on their Instagram and they asked me to give them a picture of the first prototype of deliverance and a picture of the kind of the, the, the current prototype of deliverance. And I thought that they meant for me to put it in the same image. So I made a square Instagram image with like the top half being the modern version of deliverance and the bottom half being like the first prototype picture I took of deliverance. And he was like, Oh no, that wasn't what I was looking for. I needed each individual picture. I'm like, Oh, okay. But I had this picture and I thought, you know, looking at this picture, it was, it just showed five years of progress, you know? And I, I so I wrote this post and uh, shared with a board game, design uh, Facebook group called the Board Game Design Lab, which I've talked about before, that uh, this is what five years of progress looks like. The the bottom image, I had such a hard time even getting people to play test. And the top image raised $140,000 in one day on Kickstarter. And now my family doesn't think I'm crazy for, for, for making board games. And that had like 600 likes and just a ton of comments. It definitely get uh, got backers and other things like that because it got it gave me visibility. I actually took that post and I posted it on Reddit. They have a tabletop game design. It actually was rejected like three times because it included the word Kickstarter or KS or whatever. And the Reddit community automatically disapproves of posts that have certain keywords in it. So I finagled it and, you know, and eventually got it posted and it became like the number one trending post for the month on that, uh, just quickly within a day on that tabletop game design Reddit. Yeah. Looking, looking at that picture, um, with the before I, I could see why people wouldn't want to play your game. It looks like you just took pieces of paper and, and ripped them up and just, you know, put some notes on it and just threw it on the table. Yeah. It was pretty awful. Uh, we <laughs> did have that. our, War of the Ring miniatures as the uh, the demons and angels, though. The cool thing about this picture is that there's nothing about it that's professional. It's not like you've got like a professional photographer to take, you know, a very slick photo. It's basically mm -hmm. on your dining room table. You laid out the game, took a picture of it on both instances, right. pretty much. So I think that's the key as well. You don't have to spend lots of money or even lots of time, you know, setting these things up. Often the the, the less professional it looks, the the better it can do organically because it doesn't look like an ad. It doesn't look like promotion. It just looks like, hey, it's a status update. But of course, this is an advertisement. Of course, the desire ultimately is for people to back. But it's done in such a way that really disguises that, but then also facilitates the conversation because you're going to have loads of people commenting, yeah, I'm in the same boat. My family thinks I'm crazy. 
and you've given me hope. Thank you. Yep. It's very, <laughs> yeah, it's very, very effective. In fact, it reminds me of all these before and after photos you see like weight loss ones. However, all these like keto companies are like stealing these amateur before and after weight loss photos. So it's like, Oh, this is, this is legit. And then you click on, it, it's like, Oh, you need to buy my keto friendly, you know, guide and whatnot. Like it, th- that's working really big in, in that industry. And yeah. So have, yeah. have it when it comes to like these amateurish, well, they're not amateurish, but you know, the, uh, the, the not but professional yeah, photo. Like Rick, you're a, you're a pro photographer and I am not right. I, I just took a picture that ended up, you know, resonating with somebody. And I think that's really the key. You know, and that's what you're getting at, I think, is. Yeah, that's what sells, because even these days people are actually tired of professional photographs. They'll see yep. like they'll see something. Like, oh, that's a product. Trying it to looks me. like an ad. Yeah, it's an ad. It, it, it looks like stock something. It's a stock, right. stock image. I guess the, the key that I wanted to really get across in this is that the post, whatever you make, should really come from the heart. That is, I think, where my best content came from. You know, it's it's one of those things that you can't really trick people so i mean you shouldn't really try to trick people into seeing your content but the the best content is kind of off the cuff and you should share something that works in one group may work in another group but don't share it like the same hour just share it like the next day you know if it worked in one group then share it in another group the following day or two days later so i i that's, I guess, my my thoughts on that. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days <laughs> shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord thy God. So <laughs> the next point is take a break. So you want to talk a bit about that? I was like, where are you going with this? <laughs> it's like the Ten Commandments with uh, Charlton Heston. Is it? Yeah, agents, contact me if you're interested. Some voiceover. <laughs> So how much time have you taken off to, you know, just enjoy the family, get your mind off the Kickstarter, go fishing, play tic-tac-toe? I don't know. What's up? So originally when I started the Kickstarter project, I was like, okay, I'm going to establish my working hours are going to be between 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And people should expect, you know, that's, that's what I heard. The advice was tell people when you're going to be working and when you're not going to be working. Well, that would work perfectly if this was like my only full-time thing that I cared about. I could work during daytimes and not during the evening. And that just isn't the way for most creators there. You're going to have to work weird hours in order to get all the responses in that you can, you know, some nights that I've worked till, you know, 9 PM to make sure all of my responses are, are, are made and that I can also kind of fulfill my job responsibilities and other things like that. And I still kind of fall on my face with uh, certain things anyway, but it's very important to, to take a break for your own mental health. The things that you love that you did before you launched your Kickstarter, you should have those things, or you should be able to do those things when your Kickstarter is live. You may need to kind of minimize certain activities, but you should never eliminate them. I have five children that need to see me. I have my wife who is my best friend who wants to hang out with me. I've got, you know, my parents and in-laws and I've got church on Sundays and other things like that, that I shouldn't completely eliminate. I also, um, I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu and it's become something that is really hard for me to get out in the evening. My wife is also like eight months pregnant right now. So it's really hard for me to get out in the evenings when I work you know, 12 hours in a day and then want to leave to go do some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's, 
it's just really hard on the family. So you what I've done people is... and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It's like if I beat you, you have to buy deliverance. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm, I'm pretty good now. So it's I just challenge all the blue belts. I'm a little concerned because Andrew said that, uh, you know, the things that you did before Kickstarter, you should keep doing. You know, Andrew used to, you know, visit me and talk to me and say hi. And we used to hang out and I haven't seen him since this Kickstarter. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, yeah, it is. It is a challenge i i'll tell you i have not been able to have a board uh, play a board game with anyone else well my wife totally is my player number two but i haven't been able to play a board game with other people except for you know if it's on a podcast i haven't been able to you know get into my office but like once a week which is you know normally i it's like a my happy place i love to go there and and work and yeah we haven't been able to hang out and like high five and stuff and it's like I haven't, I, I saw you more during like the first month of COVID. So. <laughs> so, well, that being said, you have been uh, putting in a lot of hours into Tabletop Simulator, right? So you've been able to, you know, you've been connecting with your community uh, by playing the game. And do you want to talk a little bit about that? And what was the thought yeah. process behind that? Is that a good use of your time? Oh, so useful. In fact, really, there's there's something that I didn't think about, and this could easily be another point in in this in this list is that, you know, we I know it's engaging with your community is number one, but engaging with your community across multiple channels, like the channels that I chose, I chose a lot of channels. So I have Board Game Geek and Discord and Facebook and Kickstarter and uh, you know, and probably one or two others that I just am not thinking of right now. And uh, these, you know, people will act, oh, of course, my email, people will actively communicate with me and want responses across all of those channels. And that is kind of a, a promise that I made that I would be there to, you know, interact with people. And some of those are a lot of work. They feel like work. You know, you need to make sure you respond, in, you know, to your Kickstarter comments and um, other things in a timely manner and messages and whatnot. But it's not something that I, I don't know. Discord doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like hanging out with my friends, you know, and we get to kind of like some people will theory craft about the game. I have people right now playing a game and in, in uh, you know, the general or like voice channel. People are asking questions like rules, questions and whatnot, and other people are answering them. So in certain places, mainly like my Facebook group and my uh, Discord server, I get to go there. People like the community is now like answering questions and engaging and the people who know how to play the game are answering the questions for the new people. It's cool to see. And so I actually get to go in and interact. And instead of having all this work to do to like scroll through all the comments above and answer questions, I get to do that if I want to do that. But I just get to engage and in the conversation. And that really feels fun. I feel like a little hero going into my, I don't know, like the tavern after I slayed the dragon. And I get to like tell a story every once in a while or just you know, drink ale if I feel like it. And, you know, people will just, you know, respect it, whatever. It's it's really a joy. And honestly, I love playing this game so much. It is extremely fun to me. And uh, so I'll always look for a, an opportunity to play hard modes. So um, a, a quick question on Tabletop Simulator. Now, you got yours on there. Would Is this something, in fact, we could probably do a whole episode just on this. Would you recommend board game developers to actually put their game on tabletop simulator. And do you think it has hurt or benefited your sales? It is actually, this is a great question because tabletop simulator is responsible for bringing in a massive amount of people to actually back the game that had never heard of it before. 
So one of the really, really important things that that we did that I, I didn't realize the magnitude of this was put our game on Tabletop Simulator and release our rules ahead of our Kickstarter. So we actually released our rule book, which wasn't, you know, 100% complete, by the way. There are like two pages at the beginning that are basically blank. It's like table of contents will go here and components list will go here. So it's it's one of those things that I didn't realize the, the importance of this. But after we we launched and I worked really hard to develop a community for Tabletop Simulator and Discord and it was tough, but, you know, we did. And then we had, let's say, you know, maybe 75 people that had played the game, maybe 15 of those people were very active in, in the Discord or rather would be interested in playing the game with others and teaching them and that sort of thing. We're like kind of the core of the community. But then the Kickstarter happens and you have a ton of people that are like, yeah, I'd really like to see some gameplay and I'd really like to, you know, do this and that. And so I would always share the YouTube video. I would always share the tabletop, that the fact that it's on Tabletop Simulator and when I say YouTube video, I mean a gameplay video from a call in a one-stop co-op shop and uh, and then the Tabletop Simulator link. And people would say, wow, I'm excited it's on Tabletop Simulator. And I would always tell people that they can try it. They can try it right now. And I had a surprising number of people purchase Tabletop Simulator just so that they could play. And I would tell them that you can come to our our Discord server. You'll get a you know a rules teacher and somebody who will teach you how to play on Tabletop Simulator over voice chat and it'll be really easy and you should give it a try and you would be surprised at the number of people that were considering backing in at the 59 dollars pledge level that would spend 20 bucks on tabletop simulator to just consider if they should back the game or not and it worked very very well for us we've had a lot of people jump on board after you know and they've said we played the tabletop simulator mod we had a really fun time I can't wait to get this game. You know, and a lot of people were like, I'm a Christian and I was cautiously optimistic. I just needed to see that this was a good game. Other people would say, I'm not a Christian and I was cautiously optimistic. I just needed to see that this was a good game. And Tabletop Simulator answers those questions. If I didn't have that as a tool, I don't know. I mean, we would probably have, you know, three to 500 less backers in, in my view, maybe maybe two, two to 300 less backers. Did you ever look at Tabletopia? that's based in the browser. Yeah, so Tabletopia is free, but what I saw when we, when you know everyone went into their bunkers because of COVID, Tabletop Simulator just started to grow in popularity and that kind of became the dominant force in hey, let's play games online and whatnot. I didn't hear a lot of talk about Tabletopia um, when, you know, COVID was happening. I heard a lot about Tabletop Simulator, so I thought I want to make my game where the people are. I don't want to make my game necessarily in the place that's the cheapest. I just want to go to the place that has the most, you know, the highest ceiling for, you know, for interest. And that is by far Tabletop Simulator. I do think that it would have been more helpful if I had Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator and, you know, a mod on Roll20.com or whatever and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But I just think it's a whole lot easier when I was able to focus in one place. You know, I have a community that knows Tabletop Simulator that can teach you the game on Tabletop Simulator, but if it was like everywhere, you'd have new players asking to play and it's like, you know, given the free version or the paid version, they'd rather go with the free version, but not that many people know how to use it, right? And so I just decided, let's keep focused and Tabletop Simulator it is. You know, maybe to my own detriment, I don't know, I can't say for certain, but I did not put the mod on Tabletopia. I, I just didn't really have the time. 
I felt like, you know, I had to kind of pick one. Well, what are the advantages of tabletop simulator is that it gives you access to the Steam forms as well. You have to go to the tabletop Steam forms and you can engage with people there. You can promote your game. And I found that the Steam community is very, very active. And I think even on the off-topic form, you can get some really great engagement there and probably find ways of directing people to your board game, your Kickstarter. So it's a, that's a great place to do some organic marketing as well if you have the opportunity and time. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, uh, what's great about tabletop marketing is it's on Steam. And it's almost like it's your own, it's like adding an extra social media platform for your product. A lot of people have already purchased tabletop simulator. In fact, I was looking at it when I found out you can play, you know, Settlers of Catan and be like play with other people. I thought oh, that's pretty cool. It is twenty dollars, but a lot of people already have it's a lower price point that as as you know compared to buying a real uh, real physical board game where it costs like sixty seventy dollars. Also, it also goes on sale quite a bit for for half off at ten dollars. But yeah, the, the the community, the Steam community, it's on a a network that millions of people use. And so like, like um, both Andrew and Sean were saying, you know, they may not know anything about your product, but then all of a sudden they're looking at the tables on, on, on tabletops and like, Oh, what's this? What's this deliverance thing? Let me check it out. And then they download it and, and play it. So it's, it's, I think it's a phenomenal Avenue to have, especially if you're like, in fact, I think it'd be great for prototyping, uh, prototyping and testing. I don't know how well that would work though on steam. And I don't know what the requirements are or, uh, for those type of games, but I think it'd be an awesome tool to actually, you know, get get people to try your game and, and play test it. Um, Andrew, do you know any specifics on like like how complete a game has to be to be on Tabletop Simulator or anything like that? Well, actually, um, what we did, and you brought you brought up play testing, and I think um, that's a really smart point with Tabletop Simulator. Um, you can make anything, and you can save it to kind of your private workshop. And you don't have to release something publicly. You know, when all the conventions were canceled, I needed to do a lot of testing. And Tabletop Simulator, I found to be an amazing tool to give other people to kind of test the game. And, you know, we, we were able to do a lot of balancing before, um, you know, Deliverance actually went to Kickstarter or rather was seen in the public spotlight. It was a really valuable tool for that. So in addition to building buzz, it was an incredible tool to to kind of help me refine the game. And, you know, especially during a period where I didn't really have much opportunity to to get to a place with like real people that were gamers, you know? Yeah, you might be able to pick up Tabletop Simulator on a website like G2A where people, you know, buy the game when it's discounted and then they resell it. And it's 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 not as good as the discount, but then it's also not as you know, expensive as the game when it's not discounted. So you can sort of get that middle price there. So they always get the game cheaper, even if it isn't on mm -hmm. sale. So something to keep in mind. There's also kingun.net. So K-I-N-G-U-I-N.net. So there's a couple of them. You might just want to shop around, not endorsing any one in particular. Number 10, write a helpful article for your peers, which is, uh, there's a little bit of irony in that, isn't there? Because it's like the final point and, an article that you wrote for your peers. So yeah. I, I also think you need to define what your peers are. Like, do you send one to your mom, your best friend? What are these articles for? And what do you do with them? <laughs> yeah, well, this one is a little bit more of a niche. But one of the nice things about, you know, for board game designers, board game designers play board games. 
and they tend to be a great audience to sell board games to. You know, I have a, a whole wall of board games right behind me and uh, I buy other people's board games. And so it's very useful. It's not only is it useful, but it can benefit you by having other, you know, in my case, board game designers back my game because they want to play it. But it's really, really helpful when you're in the middle of this, you know, of Kickstarter or in, in, you know, you have firsthand experience that you can share and you're right in the thick of things to write an article at that point. Because after, you know, like a month, two, three months after this Kickstarter campaign, I would, I just wouldn't have all of that in my memory banks still. There's so much going on, so much that I'm continually learning and so much that I have to keep in my mind as it is that I just, other things leave, you know, it's like bing bong from, um, from that movie inside out. Like he's just going to disappear eventually. And all of these, you know, like I, I wrote this article for uh, Stonemeyer games, the 10 ideas to boost your funding mid campaign because I'm in the mid campaign and I'm doing those things. And I thought it would be really smart for me to write these down. Um, I remember, you know, giving, uh, some advice to other, you know, former, uh, clients of ours, during the during their Kickstarter campaign, and I didn't give them all ten of these things. I maybe said like three to five of them at the most, and I didn't I didn't give them the advice with with as as much depth as I was able to write about right now because I'm I'm in the middle of things, you know, and um, these things are so fresh that it's very easy for me to write about them, and so I would that's that would be my encouragement to you is to share the knowledge. You know, you, you know, a lot more than you give yourself credit for. A lot of the time people have imposter syndrome where they're like, who would, who would like to hear from little old me? Well, um, there are people like myself included that would love to hear a firsthand experience that has some like actionable advice. I may not need it until I'm myself am in a mid campaign experience, but when I am, I'm really, really going to appreciate that. And there were people that backed my campaign directly because I got an article on Stonemeyer Games. They really appreciated it and they wanted to support me because I'm supporting them, you know, by writing this great content. And then, of course, it's always nice, you know, when uh, um, you get an article at an awesome site like Stonemeyer Games that has board game designers and whatnot. So that's kind of, um, you know. I hope that hope that resonates with people. But you can totally share this stuff on like, you know, various board game design groups or other relevant groups and you can get a lot of mileage out of out of this. So Andrew, is there any top secret tips that you didn't share on the Sturmeyer article that you've done since uh, just for our crowdfunding nerd audience to get the special details? Oh top yeah. Secret bonus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so- the big one that has made a huge difference is social stretch goals. So I see I see a lot of people doing social stretch goals in their campaigns. Oftentimes they're doing them wrong. And uh, you know, just in, in general with stretch goals, stretch goals uh, as a as a general thing are oftentimes done wrong. You know, let's say at the beginning of a campaign, when I, you know, if I have I have zero dollars raised because I'm you know, just about to hit the launch button. I have a $39,000 goal, which, you know, that was what deliverance was. And I hit the launch button. I should not display stretch goals on my, on my project page. I should display them 
when they're close. Uh, stretch goals should entice backers to want to push to get to the next stretch goal. It shouldn't say, wow, it shouldn't make the backers say, wow, look how far we are away from earning that thing. It's kind of demoralizing. So my mm -hmm. first stretch goal was we're funded $39,000 funded, you know, and the, and there was a little uh, thing below that that said uh, next goal coming soon. And, you know, and we would reveal stretch goals over time. And actually there's a kind of a hidden technique that I used, which was in the stretch goals, we planned for about, I want to say $250,000 of stretch goals. And we ended up making $140,000 on the first day. And that means to me that our campaign has a top end of potentially like $300,000 more so than, uh, you know, the stretch goals that we had, we were going to run out of goals. So what I did was instead of, you know, I would have uh, certain stretch goals like adding four prayer cards. That's a $6,000 stretch goal. It would have been a $5,000 goal normally, but I had to find a way to kind of elongate the stretch goals so that we didn't knock them all down too fast. Right. And I was able to do that because I was able to like time release the stretch goals, you know, one, two, three at a time for people to, to, to kind of sink their teeth into like, oh, wow, we're so close to unlocking this one. And then boom, the next one comes up. Oh, wow. We're so close to unlocking that one. And that's what you want with stretch goals. Now in those we're hits. in the mid campaign. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, and stretch goals are a game, you know, uh, to, if, if this is a surprise to you, if you're listening to this thinking like Andrew's played me with the stretch goals on deliverance, you know, I could have had more stretch goals to this point. Like, first of all, we're, we're pretty much on track to unlocking all of our stretch goals. So you won't need to worry about that. But second of all, it is a game and you need to play the game. It's Kickstarter. You need to, you need to know how to play. And so, um, that's, that's, that's what I would say. And then the second thing is when our momentum started slowing down. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so where social stretch goals come in is when your momentum starts slowing down. So right now we're recording this on a Tuesday and we are, you know, right in that, the middle of our campaign and, you know, other awesome games are, are launching and we have to find a way to stay relevant. So the truth is that we're not going to raise as much money as we did, you know, on other Tuesdays. Right. And, you know, there, there are people, you know, we're struggling to get more backers every day. We struggle and, you know, and it's, it's a hustle to try to get more backers, but we need more excitement. We need people to, um, to jump on board and support the campaign. And, and one way to do that is to make sure that there's like positive momentum where people are excited and still engaged and have reasons to come back and visit your page and reasons to share the page and reasons to share content related to your game. And the number one way that I can think to do that right now in, in the current uh, stage in my campaign in the middle is through social stretch goals. So we just unveiled social stretch goals uh, earlier this week and we you know are giving additional cards so you can actually get two demon talent cards if uh, we have a tabletop simulator related goal like you know if enough players beat the game on higher difficulties we're going to unlock two cards social shares like a pin post on facebook and a tweet on twitter if you re retweet the um the tweet on twitter and i feel like an idiot for saying it like that retweet the tweet on twitter and um share the pin post on our facebook page 100 shares and retweets combined get you an additional card. 200, 300 combined get, you know, four possible cards extra. And then Board Game Geek subscribers, we have, 
you know, 320 subscribers equals another darkness card, which we were at like 300. And so people are jumping on board. And, you know, right now we've smashed through that, you know, that 320 subscriber goal. And we're, you know, we're really getting people to share. We're getting people to subscribe and, and that kind of thing that will help us and help us kind of spread the word. And I think that unveiling those in the middle of the campaign is much, was a, a much needed like shot in the arm at this point, you know, we're fighting every day to remain relevant. So a shot in the arm for today is, is, is like exactly what we need. And then we'll worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes, you know? Um, but this will really help. Maybe I'll try to push the stretch goal thing again tomorrow or, you know, write an update a few days from now, um, you know, pushing stretch goals and talk about it in my social media groups and my, discord server and that kind of thing but i'm always able to kind of point people back to the actionable thing that they can do which is share this post or share this uh um facebook post retweet that tweet on um you know and you know that that's like an actionable thing that my most hardcore fans can can do so um there you go and with those final sage-like words from mr andrew lowen we are going to have to finish up this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. And if you're listening to this right now, there are just a few hours left in the Deliverance campaign on Kickstarter. And I highly recommend you go in there, go all in, and get this game. Now, Andrew does have future plans, possibly, of getting this in retail stores, but those are just in the future, and we don't know if it's going to happen. So if you want a guaranteed game... You got to get it right now because we are funded and it's going to come out. Woot, woot. That's right. And if you like this episode and want to listen to some other episodes, visit us. Smash the like button. <laughs> don't, forget, don't forget to subscribe. Hit the bell or it's meaningless. <laughs> visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. See you next week. And stay nerdy. Peace.